The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. This is your host, Wanda Wallace. As you heard in the intro, I find that one of the most difficult transitions for any leader occurs when you go from being the expert who knows what to do and how to get it done, in your comfort zone, in effect, to leading a group that knows more about many things than you will ever hope to know. And in that moment, how do you lead? How do you establish credibility? How do you maintain authority? How do you ensure things are going well and done appropriately and on time? How do you contribute to the team and how do you make decisions? So today we're focusing on how to become more comfortable making significant decisions when you do not have all the information you want, when others know the details you don't know or even when no one knows. You're still accountable for the outcome, but you're not totally in control. In effect, you are out of your comfort zone. So with me today is John Murphy, former CEO of Bell Helicopter, and among my favorite CEOs that I've known over past times. John, you've had a fascinating career history from beginning in the mailroom to working your all way all the way to be CEO at Bell Helicopter. That's an incredible journey in and of itself. But however, there's one particular point in your career that I find most intriguing, and I want to start at a point of crisis. When you were first named CEO, now just to set the context, you had just gone through by heart bypass surgery weeks before. You were named CEO. The company was posting a significant loss for the first time in 20 years. Customers were frustrated because you could not get them parts, which means that very expensive helicopters were grounded while waiting for repairs. And suddenly 9-11 happens so that every one of your helicopters and all of your customers' helicopters were grounded How does one go about surviving those sort of situations without getting fired? So let's start at the starting point. You've just been named CEO. People know about the loss. You have a massive turnaround to do. You're standing in front of the employees for your first town hall. What do you say to them? So, John, how did you go about doing that? Well, my particular situation is I had replaced a a CEO that – had left the company and had been contacted by our Textron uh, corporate office and asked that uh, asked me if I would become the CEO, uh, replacing the prior CEO, because of a, a number of issues. Uh, one was the financial performance of the company, obviously, and uh, you know I jumped at the chance. It was it was a dream job that uh, I never thought would happen, but uh, it came to me and um, I took it uh, with. Uh, 
all of the challenges that it brought to include um, a company that was somewhat in disarray and uh, a nation that was in disarray from the effects of uh, in the aftermath of 9-11. Okay, so how did you go about getting the confidence of the employees? People have to be feeling pretty bad at this moment. They know what's going on, and they know that the crisis the country is in. So how did you gain their confidence? Well... I was I was uh, lucky in that I was not the new guy on the block. Uh, my credibility came from being a longtime employee of, of Bell. I'd had a number of jobs at Bell, as you said, from the mailroom up, and uh, a lot of uh, those jobs were leading significant portions of the of the organization. So I was uh, I was one of them. I was just not another another suit. Uh, I developed a, a reputation for getting things done and being fair and honest w- uh, with employees and with our customers, and I think uh, I think that put people at ease uh, and gave them a sense of security. Uh, I don't get rattled easily, and I think uh, that sense of uh, being being in place for myself helped the organization realize that. We need to steady ourselves and uh, move forward. So, John, as you and I have talked about this over the years, um, one of the things that strikes me is you said you thought you were ready for this job in ways you were not necessarily ready for many of the other jobs that you had taken at Bell. So what gave you the personal confidence that you could turn this situation around? Uh, I think that confidence was built over... Uh, you know, 30 plus years at the company. Uh, every job I had had, uh, well, since I had, since I got my first management job, I started as a union employee, uh, working in a mailroom, moved, moved to the uh, print shop, timekeeper, and then I got a, man, a financial uh, assistant management job that was a low level job. But each, after that, I moved about every two years, I got a promotion. Uh, and I think each one of those I was in over my head uh, in each and every one of them and managed to manage to survive and, and actually thrive. So the confidence level I had built in each one of those challenging jobs gave me the confidence uh, each time I moved again that, okay, this is hard. I don't know, understand all I need to understand about it, uh, but... I felt confident I could do it, and I think that was certainly the case when uh, uh, they asked me to become the CEO. Okay. I'll come back to the jobs where you felt like you were in over your head, but I want to go back to this town hall. You're standing in front of the employees, and you're saying, you know, I, we don't have all the answers. So how did, you go, how did you say that to people, and did uh, they take it? Did they believe you? I said it just like that. <laughs> Uh, that uh, we were in a mess, uh, that uh, we uh, was frank with them about our financial loss. I was frank with them about uh, the departure of the prior uh, CEO, that we had humongous challenges ahead of us, both uh, with our corporate parent and with our customers, uh, that there was certainly uncertainty in the marketplace uh, after 9-11, what was going to happen with with our industry and, and all of the industry, uh, that uh, 
and you know, this was our Bell helicopter was our lifeboat. We were all in it together, and we needed to fix it together. Uh, and just to frankly admitted that uh, you know I knew what we needed to do, uh, but I didn't have all the answers about uh, how we'd go about doing it. We were uh, we, we were facing some really challenges. I talked to lots of leaders who believe that admitting that you don't know um, is a sign of weakness. You clearly don't agree with that. Oh no, I don't. Uh, if yeah, I, in fact, I don't agree. I don't. Even, it's not only I don't agree with it. I, I'm a little bit frightened about uh, anybody that uh, approaches me on any subject and says they have all the answers, uh, and uh, because. Uh, there's just business is too complex uh, for any one person to have all the answers, and I think that's one of the reasons that we see so much emphasis on group networking, t- uh, teamwork, uh, people collaborating to, together, uh, because you can pull from all of the resources that are available to you to make sure you're making the best decisions when. Uh, Obviously, there's is not as much information out there as you like to have to before having to make that decision. Okay. All right. Um, let's talk for a minute about the parent company, Textron, and their reactions. You know, one of the worries that people will have is here you are being so honest with the employees about the state of how difficult things are. Doesn't that just encourage people to walk out the door? So how worried was Textron and how worried were you about people leaving? Uh, I, I really wasn't worried about uh, too many uh, people uh, leaving. Uh, Bell had a strong reputation in the marketplace with our customers, had a strong reputation for performance. We had just uh, not performed well over the last uh, two and a half to, to three years. Uh, and part of that was, a, was certainly a leadership uh, issue. Uh, we had a lot of support from Textron. Uh, you know, the old law of thermodynamics, if the uh, heat's on someone else, it's not on you. Well, the, the heat was on us from, from corporate. Uh, we got a lot of corporate oversight. Uh, they wanted to make sure there were no further surprises. So uh, we had a, a, a lot of reviews of uh, uh, strategic uh, direction, uh, certainly financial information, operational performance. Uh, they were all over us. Uh, but you know that's that's to be expected. Uh, okay. We had some of our own operational problems and financial problems, and uh, we were all over ourselves also with new metrics and new measurements and new uh, levels of accountability and responsibility. Okay, fair enough. John, just before we take a break, I have one last question. Let's go back to you said early in your career that you were frequently in over your head. What did you do when you were in over your head? What's the secret to making that work? Well, I think you, I think you can say that I don't have all the answers, yet still display the confidence of a leader that people understand that you're going to act in the in the best manner that you can, that uh, is is per, is either protective or defensive, or in a way that that makes progress toward 
to a company goal, a company vision, or, or getting a, a project done. Uh, and I know it's, it's, it's a conflict of thought of, of admitting you don't know anything, yet being able to say, I'm, I'm confident at the same time that we'll get through this mess and have people believe you. But a key to that is to have, as soon as you say that, have some small or hopefully large successes that demonstrate that the path that you set the organization on, what you're trying to accomplish, will actually work. And as you start building on those successes, uh, you, you, you gain more confidence and the organization gains more confidence in itself. Okay. So just to hit a quick highlight here, it's about having confidence that you're on the right trajectory, hitting some early quick wins, but being honest and frank with people about the situation that you're really in so that people respond to the candidness and then your ability to say, um, I don't know and I need your help. Does that sound about right? That's about right. Okay, fabulous. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Wanda Wallace with Out of the Comfort Zone. We've been talking with John Murphy, former CEO of Bell Helicopter. When we return, I want to talk with John about his team in particular, how he dealt with the cynics and the critics, and how he built trust and helped change the culture within that team. So we'll be back in just a few moments with John Murphy and more about building the team. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm with John Murphy, former CEO of Bell Helicopter. We've been talking about how John led the company through a particular difficult time. And John, one of the bold moves you made was to admit to the entire organization that there were things you did not know, and then that helped the organization step up to solve problems. So for now, what I want to focus on is your team, the top management team, and how you built trust within that group. Let me start with the first question. Did you have any cynics in your team? Were there people who doubted that you were the right leader? And how did, if so, how did you deal with them? Hey, I, I didn't have uh, any cynics that uh, doubted, uh, I think, me as a, as a leader, uh, as leader of Bell as CEO. We did have some, uh, a, a couple of people within the, in the top organization staff that uh, uh, proved to be difficult. One was a, a close friend that had uh, been passed over as CEO and was uh, uh, had he had become uh, less than a team player, to put it uh, nicely. He was uh, somewhat of a bomb thrower and was dis- disruptive, uh, not just to me as a, when I was CEO, but uh, prior to that. And uh, so... Uh, uh, and when I became CEO, I, I had to ask him to take early retirement, and he did, and I think it was good for the organization and good for him. Uh, the other was, uh, you know, Bell Helicopter is a is an engineering company, uh, and rightfully so. The products that we build, helicopters, are, you know, fifteen to 20,000 parts, and a lot of them are all moving at the same time, and some of them moving at in opposite directions. They're... They're a complicated beast, uh, and so the, the engineering that goes into creating these these uh, helicopters is just short of it is not short of amazing. It is amazing. So we were an engineering company, uh, and but sometimes that proved to be at the expense of our customers. We had a variety of customers in emergency medical, oil field, uh, police uh, operations, uh, military, commercial, transport, uh, tourist industry, uh, oil support industry that all had different kinds of requirements and different kinds of of needs uh, that often became confusing. Uh, And historically, the solution to that was that engineering created the product uh, on behalf of the customer and often believed that they knew what the customer needed more than the customer knew what they needed. Uh, Marketing was uh, somewhat of a nuisance to engineering. Uh, The voice of the customer wasn't getting through. Obviously, that was not a, a good position for our company to be in. We were losing market share. Uh, the the customer was not happy with the, the product offerings that uh, we were delivering in the marketplace. 
So we, we need to make some changes internally and uh, become more of a, a customer-focused uh, company and listen to the voice of the company, customer and integrate that into our, our engineering solutions. Uh, that wasn't going very well. I had tried to uh, drive us to a customer-focused uh, company through you know, team building and conversations and changing processes, but it really ended up I had to change out some people to make that happen. So, but other than that, uh, uh, I think uh, my acceptance as a leader, uh, both from my immediate staff and from the workforce, was uh, uh, pretty pretty well accepted and uh, appreciated. Okay. Now, while you're talking about this customer service, you did an unusual thing to get your team focused on the customer. You forced everybody to go out and meet with customers. Yeah, we uh, we began. There was you know twelve twelve people uh, on the immediate uh, staff, and uh, right after nine eleven, each of us were assigned a a customer group or a uh, uh, a customer group that was our responsibility to call and be the executive level contact with those customers to tell them not only how were we responding to the challenges of 9-11 of not being able to ship parts, not of aircraft not being able to fly and being grounded, uh, but also the changes that were going on within Bell. You know, what was, you know, why did we replace the CEO? Uh, for those who did not know me and most of the customers uh, uh, did know me. Uh, what changes were we making? What further changes did we, could they expect? How was going to affect their business? Uh, so each of our each of our major customers had a senior level executive at Bell that would call them uh, at least once a week, or that they could call in and ask any kinds of of, of questions. So that was one of the things that we did. Uh, we brought John. Before you go there, I just want to ask, so you're taking your head of HR, your head of legal, people who may or may not know a ton about engineering and putting them in charge of a customer group. Did I hear that correctly? Uh, that's, that's correct. Uh, and did you, get, did you get resistance on that? Did it work? I mean, was, I were people nervous? They'd know what to say or not say? Well, uh, these were all smart people, and, and none of them got in over their head talking about things they didn't know about. Uh, and most of the questions coming from the customers were, uh, when can we expect delivery of, of this? Your your customer support people are telling me this date. Is that actually, can I really believe that? Uh, they were questions like, what else is going to happen with the organization now that you've changed the, the CEO? Uh, when do you expect uh, any problems with uh, uh the grounding of aircraft to be lifted, those kinds of questions. So they, they weren't detailed kind of technical questions. They were questions that someone in a customer base uh, wanted to double-check from what they were hearing elsewhere in the organization down at the, the support level with some kind of executive. And they, they wanted some executive attention, and they got it. Yeah. 
Great, great story. I'd love to turn that to lots of my clients who want a more customer-centric culture. It's a good challenge. Now, let me do one more on this one because I know that you didn't stop with just getting your executive team focused on the customers. You also got the larger organization quite involved with customers. Um, And you've talked about getting the union workers involved. Can you tell us what you did there? Yeah, I can. I've I've got a good friend I work for in in Tennessee named Dick Wells who... uh, who does a blog, and he, he, he recently put in his blog that uh, it's important as a leader that you need to realize that the working people don't care diddly about your vision until it becomes their vision. So part of it is this involvement is to take whatever vision you have as a leader and make it also the vision of, of, of the company and, and the workforce. Uh, we brought the union in, and uh, we had always had, you know, acceptable relationships with the UAW union at Bell. It, it, there weren't any big contentious issues that we had. There was always the the friction that exists between union and management, but we were we were not dysfunctional. But what we did is we brought the union leadership in, the bargaining committee in. We took them to our air shows. Uh, internationally, we took them to uh, trade shows uh, in the United States, where all of the all of our competitors showed up with their products and were their own customer base. Where the union folks could see just what kind of competition we were facing, how diverse this industry is worldwide, uh, and could carry that message back to the workforce not from somebody in a suit, but somebody uh, that represents uh, closely the the union perspective about uh, what we needed to do at Bell Helicopter to become more competitive. And you weren't worried about the union misrepresenting you in any way in those trade shows? That says a lot. No, no, I really wasn't. Uh, uh, They were, you know, we, you know, we, we told them about uh, what we were going to do. We invited them to meetings with with uh, large customer groups uh, when we when we had a customer in uh, that we were trying to make a sale to. We would tell them what the objective of the sale was, what products we were selling, what it would mean if we got this work for the number of jobs, uh, and they became they became very supportive. And our customers were, you know pretty amazed that we had representatives from the workforce uh, show up, uh, from the union show up, and uh, be supportive and and tell the customers, you know, we too want your business. I think that's Uh, remarkable that you involve your average workers in the organization in terms of what your goal is with a customer and how do you deliver the message to the customer. That has to be customer-centric. Let me come back to a minute for your team because I know, John, you have an interesting view about how your team needs to build trust and confidence with each other. And in particular, I know you think that you have to be careful with what you say and when you say it. So can you tell us a little bit about that philosophy? Well, uh, I guess there's, at first there's the old saying that I really believe in that, you know, I never learned anything by listening to myself. Uh, and uh, I've, I've always taken that by heart. I, I, learned, I learned throughout my career, it, I think one of the strengths of a leader is to be a good listener. When I became a CEO, I found out that it's even more important because... Uh, 
even though I had a close relationship with um, my direct reports and my executive team, you know, they always have their finger in the air trying to figure out which way the wind's blowing. And if I was quick to, uh, to uh, say what I wanted to do or to set a direction for the conversation, uh, often those people that uh, would that had good ideas or had uh, ideas counter to mine would uh, fall silent. Uh, and I think that's dangerous for any organization. So uh, I learned very quickly to uh, remain, uh, you know, uh, Tee up an issue, tee up a strategic question, uh, let the group uh, play with it and talk about it and discuss it and just sit back and listen. And I found out that uh, often we got the, the, a really great idea that popped up from somewhere, that got modified by somebody else, got modified again, and the solutions were, were pretty elegant and uh, pretty sustaining. Okay. All right. Just one last question then, John, before we go to break quickly, um, which is you had a philosophy that your team really should know each other's business, um, that they should not just know their specialty, but they should know each other. You want to say a few words about that? Yeah, we were we were typical of the, of the companies that grew up through the 60s, 70s, 80s. We were pretty functionally siloed. Uh, engineering did engineering work, marketing did marketing work. They didn't talk to one another. Same thing within finance. Uh, getting the executives uh, uh, engaged with the uh, customers and the customers' business was uh, key to bringing it all together because then they had to, to, to talk to one another. Uh, we, I encouraged uh, those direct reports to uh, understand each other's business uh, they were required to understand what was going on in engineering, what was going on in marketing, and that built some. You can't understand somebody else's uh, problem unless you understand a little bit of, of what kind of issues they face. Uh, so we worked hard at building that kind of uh, team cohesiveness uh, to strengthen the entire company. I think that's remarkable. Um, we often talk about teamwork, especially teams at the top, and yet that notion of spending that much time together to get to know each other's worldview as well as the set of problems that each of you are facing is quite incredible. Also incredible, the focus on the customer centricity. All right, this is Wanda Wallace with Out of the Comfort Zone. We've been talking with John Murphy, former CEO of Bell Helicopter, about the importance of a team and about customer centricity, um, especially this notion of building time and support with each other. We're going to take a break. When we return, I want to talk to John about how he got comfortable making decisions when he didn't have all the information he would have liked to have had. And we'll be back in just a few moments. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the Resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Hello, this is Wanda Wallace with Out of the Comfort Zone. We've been talking with John Murphy, former CEO of Bell Helicopter. Thus far, John, we've talked about standing in front of the entire staff and admitting that you don't have all the answers, even though you have a direction for where you're going to go. We have um, this notion of getting people deeply involved, even union workers involved in visiting customers and in going to trade shows. We have building the trust and confidence with your team so that they know each other's work. Um, and that the collectively you're all making smarter choices. And we have your understanding that you needed to pull back a bit from voicing your opinion so that others would be vocal. What I want to do now is to focus on how do you get comfortable making decisions when, one, a lot of stuff is going wrong, some that you'd anticipated and some that you didn't, um, and how can you get comfortable making a decision when you don't have all the information you'd like to have? So what's your advice on this? How did you do it at that time, make a decision without the information? Well, there was, a, there was certainly a lot of information that we, we didn't have at the time. Uh, we didn't understand all the implications of 9-11 and what it would mean for, for our business. Uh, we uh, had certain, uh, certain unknowns of how the or- whole organization was going to react to what had happened to the country and what had happened as a result of, of, 
of CEO change and the, assuming that uh, leadership. But, you know, I, I found out that, uh, as I'd found out through a lot of different jobs, that uh, if you ask people for help, uh, they're uh, often anxious to give it to you. They want to they want to show you what they know and what they've learned, uh, and all you have to do is ask, and uh, they will they will come forward and, and offer you help. Uh, you know, in complicated areas that where you don't have an educational background or experience, such as engineering. Yeah, I didn't try to make engineering decisions. Uh, when engineering would bring an engineering solution to a uh, to a design problem or a new product offering of of how we were going to do something, um, I just sat and asked questions, and they were really dumb questions, I'm sure. Uh, and I would listen to the responses, and I'd ask more dumb questions, and I'd keep asking dumb questions until I got comfortable with the engineering solution that was being offered that, you know, actually it could be done. It wasn't just a, uh, uh, I say actually it could be done. Possibly it could be done. Uh, it wasn't just uh, an engineering lab experience that it could really met the needs of the customers. And I guess finally that it could be done reasonably on schedule and reasonably within budget. Uh, and I say that because, uh Engineering work generally takes more time and takes more money than anybody could ever guess that it would. Uh, and through that process, you know, I learned a lot. And sometimes the people who were asking my dumb questions had an aha moment themselves that said, oh, maybe we ought to do something different. And they would offer up a different solution that just came from a process of dialogue and discussions about what they were suggesting. Uh, there's, you make decisions without information, enough information all the time, uh, but that doesn't mean you're you're just guessing. Uh, you, there's a process for going through how you make decisions when you don't have enough information or your information is, is just inadequate. Uh, you can make decisions in stages. Uh, do I have to make the end result decision now or can I, can I make it in pieces? Uh, can I monitor it on a daily, weekly, quarterly, uh, annual basis to make sure that whatever decision I'm, I made is still uh, heading us in the direction that we intended? Uh, and if not, uh, how do I modify it? Uh, so those are the kinds of things that, that I used as far as how I made decisions when I didn't think there was enough information or enough information. There was always enough information to make a decision. It was often there wasn't as much information as I would have liked to have. Yeah, that's what I hear frequently from executives. And when I ask other people this question, I get an answer that's very similar to yours. Um, people typically say that one, you have to have people around you who are competent in what they do, and you have to trust that competence. Um, that two, you ask questions perhaps dumb ones to use your phrase, that gets you to be sure people have thought through the details so that you're looking for some evidence that they really understand the complexity of what they're talking to you about and thinking through it. 
Um, and three, you know, you've already talked about building the team and the strength of the team so that it's not just you asking those questions, it's a whole host of other people. Plus the process of kind of lay, doing what you have to decide right now and then seeing how it's going. Is that a fair summary for your experience? Yeah, it is. I would only add one thing, Wanda, is that uh, you need to be collected. You don't panic uh, on decision-making. Uh, unless it's a life or death kind of situation, and for us folks in the boardroom, we rarely face that, uh, people are going to look to you for a decision that is is rationable. So you need to stay calm. You you often have more time to make a decision than you think you might. There are people who are going to be pushing you for a quick decision. You need to test that to make sure that, do I need to make that decision now or can it wait an hour or a day or two days or a week uh, until more information comes in? Yeah. Jen, when I work with people, though, who are below the board level, I often hear one of the qualities of admired leaders is they're willing to take a risk and make a decision. Um, and their frustration is they can't get the upper part of the organization to make a call and get moving. What's your advice to those people? Uh, keep pushing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a give and take on both sides then. There, there is, and uh, you know, an executive's uh, decision maker's immediate uh, response may may be just what I said. Do I have to make that decision now? If I do, convince me of that. Right. Uh, okay. And that's the role of of anybody in the organization that's uh, pushing pushing for a decision on any given subject. Is do I have to make it now? And if so, why? Uh, so convince me that it's that urgent. Okay. All right, John, there's one story I have to get in because I find it an incredible experience in your life, and you were posted to Iran um, at a very troubling time in Iran's history. So tell us a little bit about what happened there. And again, you were making decisions on the fly on some life-or-death circumstances for you and your family. So tell me about it. Okay, yeah, that, I guess that was the exception where it was uh, in a civilian role. It was a life or death kind of thing, decision-making at, at some points. Uh, I, I was stationed in Isfahan, Iran. I was uh, managing uh, the Bell Operations Corporation project down there. We were building a, a factory to produce helicopters for the government of Iran. We were building a training academy. Uh, we were building a, a city that would house 30,000 uh, people, both Iranians and, uh, and foreigners, to, to support the uh, helicopter industry that we were building there. We had already sold uh, the Iranians uh, several hundred helicopters, trained uh, oh, probably 3,000 pilots and 10,000 mechanics in and, and all that came to an end when the Shah was overthrown and the, the, the uh, Republic, uh, Islamic Republic of uh, Iran government uh, took over. Well, during that the period of, oh, from about August to January of uh, the late 70s, uh, things were in turmoil. Uh, when uh, the Khomeini uh, government came in, they canceled our contract. Uh, we had to re- get our get our people out. Uh, there were two two incidents there that were sort of interesting. Uh, number one, you, you, 
we didn't have a clue what was going on hardly anywhere uh, around us. Uh, communications were very poor uh, between the, the U.S. and Iran. Uh, the teletap machines were about the only form of communications. There weren't the cell phones and the internets that we, we have today. Uh, electricity was uh, intermittent uh, as it was turned off and on to uh, uh, the, the city. Uh, communications with uh, the embassy and the staffers was sort of spotty. So he didn't know what was going on. There were there were mobs in the street. There were mobs that were supporting the Shah. There were mobs that were supporting the revolutionaries. Um, and as I drove through the streets with my driver, we he would uh, we we carried posters of the Ayatollah Khomeini in the car, and we carried posters of the Shah. And as we approach one of these crowds, big crowds at the intersection, we would uh, he would size up the crowd and decide if it was a pro-government uh, crowd or an uh, anti-government crowd, and and host the uh, put the proper poster in the window as we drove through. And uh, he was he was good at guessing which one it was because sometimes it was very hard because you had people in civilian clothes and you had people in military clothes, and uh, you never knew exactly where their loyalties lied. Obviously, you never got that too far wrong, or you wouldn't be here talking to me today. No, I didn't. Um, And it was was an exciting time. It was a a really interesting experience. I had, uh, that's probably where I got uh, that whole two years in Iran of managing without uh, a a lifeline back to to the corporate uh, offices and good communications where I learned a lot about making decisions with uh, uh, not a whole lot of uh, oversight and, and even less information. Right. I can understand that one. And once you realize that you could have gotten killed by putting the wrong poster in the car, I guess that a corporate decision of are we going to do this now or do something else later doesn't feel quite so threatening. It has to get you comfortable. No, All right. Are- there are experiences in life, whether it be in the military, uh, which I served, or in the cases in Iran, where actually I, I, I didn't feel threatened for myself. I felt threatened for my family. But uh, you're right. Uh, after those kinds of experiences, everything else seems sort of uh, uh, it's easy to get through. Okay. This is Wanda Wallace with Out of the Comfort Zone. We're going to take a break again. Uh, We've been talking with John Murphy, former CEO of Bell Helicopter, about making decisions without having all the information, and particularly making decisions when there's a lot at stake for making them. When we return, I want to get John's parting words of advice and his lessons from experience for other leaders who are listening. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. 
Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Hello, this is Wanda Wallace with Out of the Comfort Zone. We've been talking with John Murphy, former CEO of Bell Helicopter. We've covered a lot of ground, um, talking about leading in a time of crisis for the company, talking about building the team, talking about involving everyone in customer experiences, um, admitting that you don't have all the information, making decisions when there's a lot at stake and you don't have as much information as you'd like. For this segment, I want to focus on John's major lessons of experience from having been there. And done it. Uh, one of the first one I want to ask, though, John, is about flexibility. Um, you know, I hear two different points of view that you need to set a direction and be clear about your direction. Don't move on it and stick with it. And I hear also advice from leaders that you need to be flexible. You need to adapt. You need to adjust in the moment. What's your view on flexibility? Well, I think I agree with 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 both of those views. Uh, I, I think if you. I work for people that uh, were some good about setting strategic direction, others not so good about setting direction. Uh, Those that set strategic direction and then set me off to execute it were those folks that really allowed me to grow and use whatever creativity I had to to do it the way I thought it ought to be done. Uh, I think flexibility uh, in a... In execution of a strategy is very good if you want your team to be creative and innovative and problem-solving. I think flexibility uh, in direction of the st- in strategy uh, is simply confusing. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't change your strategy. We change, we've reviewed strategy continually at Bell and very formally once a year to review if, if we were making the right strategic decisions. But once we made them, uh, we communicated that to um, all of the workforces. Is here's the direction we're going. Let's all get on board and see if we have to, to see if we can execute this. Uh, we didn't say just go do something uh, because I think that 
just leads to confusion and and anarchy or or certainly chaos. So um, I think flexibility in 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 executing a strategy is important. I also think it's uh, important that you review that strategy on some periodic basis, depending upon what kind of product you're offering, uh, to make sure that you've got it right. So flexibility and execution, and you were particularly motivated by leaders who let you get on and do it the way you wanted to do it, given that you were following the direction. Do you ever have a bad manager that just wasn't your cup of tea, and how did you deal with him or her? Yeah, I did. I was, uh, uh, and it was my only bad experience. And and he, uh, this was a guy I really liked and and still do. He's a he was a, a good guy, uh, but he was a poor manager. He was uh, he was a micromanager. Uh, I was running pricing at the time, and uh, for both military and commercial, and we we would do several hundred uh, estimates every every month. Everything from ranging from a hundred dollars to several uh, tens of millions of dollars, and uh, he didn't manage. He didn't just micromanage me. He micromanaged all of the other managers that worked for him. And at one time, he he declared that he wanted to see all of the estimates that uh, before they went out to customers. So, and it didn't matter the dollar value. So uh, they stacked up on his desk, and I was getting calls from salespeople that were unhappy and from customers that were unhappy. And they were all unhappy with me because I wasn't getting them a quote where we could actually make a sale or, or propose a sale to a customer. So I went into his office uh, after several attempts of trying to break this log jam and just said that uh, here's a plan. Uh, you look at every estimate over, and I don't remember what it was, maybe it was over a million dollars, and uh, take you can take it up as much as three days to do that before it has to hit a customer deadline. And I'll look at and rep- approve all the rest. Uh, and it was sort of a tense conversation for just a little bit. And uh, but he agreed to it, uh, and uh, we were able to to clear that off. But it was a when I went in and declared this after several weeks of frustration, I wasn't sure if I was going to walk out with a job or not. But uh, it worked out well for I think for both of us. So sometimes you have to call the question, to use my phrase, meaning you have to put what you need on the line, put a solution on the line, and hope it works on the other side. Yeah. The last thing thing I want to ask you about, we've got just one minute before we close. One of the favorite stories I have about you is this notion that you believe you need to test decisions before you roll them out. So what's your philosophy on this real quickly? Oh, I think uh, real quickly is that... uh, uh, Strategically, you need to share strategic questions. You need to share strategic direction. First, if when, we, when your team comes together and says, this is what we're going to do, everybody understands it. Everybody can buy into it. Everybody has a, a, some ownership of it. Uh, and then after that, when you, you, you go test it with your staff, you test it with the employees, you test it with a select group of customers, uh, you certainly uh, test it with your corporate leadership and the, the people who are providing the funding for you to, to do research and development or whatever it is you're going to do. And you keep that testing not only at the initial implementation, but as you go through the development, the sales process, the marketing process, it, is this really working? Is it really working for the customer and is it really working for us? And you have this continual feedback loop of uh, gaining confidence 
that you're on the right track or that you need right. to make some Thanks, John. Thanks, John. I'm going to cut you off there. Let me just say, this is Wanda Wallace with Out of the Comfort Zone. We've been talking with John Murphy, former CEO of Bell Helicopter. John, thank you for candidly sharing your experience. I think the thing that I walk away with the most impressed story about is the notion of getting everybody involved in directing customer centricity. Next week, we'll be talking with Peter Wright about leaders who manage to create really strong followership, particularly under times of crisis when things are going wrong. Tune in at the same time next Friday. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. We'll be right back.